Welcome to The Kingstonian, a podcast that profiles people who are passionate about what they do for a living, what organization they belong to, or the community they are a part of. Here is your host, Dave Cunningham. Thank you, Steve. Hello there and welcome. If you regularly listen to this podcast, you will have heard my conversations with various broadcasters. Maybe not all that surprising since I did spend a significant amount of my working life as a radio broadcaster. This episode features another radio guy with a major twist. John Henderson spent two decades at various stations and then took a position teaching. During his 25-year tenure at Loyalist College in Belleville, Ontario, hundreds of students spent time in his classroom learning the fine art of hosting a radio show. Here is my chat with John Henderson. John, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Dave. Nice to be here. I also want to uh, thank you for joining us, but also thank the folks who have taken the time to download the episode and to remind those folks that we are recording this particular program in early August 2023. So, John, 20 years in radio and then 25 years teaching people how to work in radio. Why radio in the first place? Oh, boy, this goes way back. I was born in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. And uh, one of the first memories I have is listening to the radio with my father. And he was listening to Superman, an edition of Superman, scared the daylights out of me. And I remember hiding behind a chair in our living room. <laughs> so the power of, uh, of such a thing got to me. We moved to Ottawa when I was a young man, uh, a child, and I started listening to the radio there. Uh, CKOY and CFRA were the big stations at the time. And... Um, I just loved the music, and I loved so many of the announcers. I thought they were extremely talented people. So when you say Superman, you're talking about the radio play show? That's, that's okay. correct. From live, from, not live, but from from uh, Detroit. Uh, w, oh, I'm not too sure now. I shouldn't say that, but it was a W anyway. <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, yeah. It scared, it scared the daylights out of me. But when I got to Ottawa and I started listening to the radio as a teenager, uh, that's when rock and roll was coming in. Mm -hmm. And uh, I loved the music. And as I said, I loved the announcers. And then I met some of them. And I realized it doesn't matter what you look like on the radio. That's it right. just simply doesn't. <laughs> now, uh, do you remember any of the announcers back then by name? Oh, like anybody in particular? Certainly. Uh, a fellow by the name of Les Sly. And... Um, Les ended up working with um, Alanis Morissette on the on a TV show out of CJOH. Um, Rich Little, uh, who who had an all night show on CFRA, and um, so many others. Uh, Red Hot Coles, Don Coles, uh, was a fellow that I thought was probably one of the most creative people I've ever ever met in my life. I ended up working with him, and uh, he was exactly what you heard on air mm -hmm. uh this this guy could uh, could make entertainment out of anything and literally did very very entertaining i'm a little bit younger than you and i can remember some of the first uh, djs i listened to in particular i lived in montreal at the time and i listened to dave boxer 
I don't know if you remember that name. Oh, certainly. Most certainly, yeah. From Cuff Cuff Radio, as they called it back then, which was <laughs> CFCF Radio <laughs> in uh, in Montreal. So that, that's a name I remember from my teenage years before yeah. I got involved in radio. So I was reading something that you had, that somebody wrote about you. And in the course of that particular uh, description or the interview you had with the other fellow, you talked about Rocket Radio. Those oh, are the little, were those the goodness. little things? Yeah, the crystal sets. I think I sets. remember those, yes. Yeah, they're crystal sets. For those and, who are uh, younger than we are, describe what rocket radios <laughs> were. It was a piece of plastic, had a crystal inside it, and, um, and uh, an antenna, a wire antenna. And if you sat outside in the proper spot, you could listen to AM radio. Mm-hmm. With um, with a headset, of course, not a headset, but an earpiece. And it was, to me, again, fascinating. So I spent many, many hours listening to that, many. Once you knew a little bit about radio, what was it that you thought you could contribute to the medium? Ah, uh, good question, Dave. Don't you hate it when people say that? Uh, <laughs> but it is. Makes me feel uh, better. Okay. <laughs> um, I... I always thought that I was fairly creative and um, I thought I could help there. I originally wanted to be, of all things, a copywriter and uh, that, that came to fruition that I quickly found out how much copywriters make <laughs> and uh, let alone radio announcers. <laughs> so, uh, but I went on to, that, that's what got me in the door was copywriting. <laughs> I remember listening to commercials and thinking, my goodness, some of these are just, where do they come up with those ideas? That is just weird, very <laughs> weird. And I, I was able to discern what was a local bit of copy and what was a, uh, a national or a provincial copy, I guess, I don't know. Um, and I thought, well, I'll aim for that and see if that'll get me through the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, having done that, I took, I took a, a course with the National Institute of Broadcasting. <laughs> and uh, I, I was going to say I threw away my money, but I didn't because they got a job out of the deal. And uh, that was in Smith's Falls, Ontario. Don Daynard was the fellow who hired me. Dandy Don went on to do great things in Toronto. And what I learned, I learned an awful lot there. First of all, I couldn't type and I wanted to be a copywriter. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, this was followed by um, an interview with Don that lasted most of the day. And at one point towards the end of the day, he brought out of an envelope from his desk and he said, uh, do you know what that logo is on it? The logo in the upper left-hand corner was that of a, a black and white eagle on a rock. And I said, yes, that's from RKO Pictures. He paused for a moment and said, you're hired. <laughs> and this was after about six or seven hours of you know <laughs> going through anything they wanted me to. Uh, but from there... It was a case of working as a copywriter and then going on the air and doing any shift they possibly could give me. 
Let's go back to 1964, which is when I believe you started working in radio. Yes. And for those folks who have never been into a radio station before or who may have seen one recently, let's talk about 1964. Describe a typical radio station <laughs> and the people that work there. <laughs> right. Did they all look like uh, you or what? Uh, no, no, no. Thank <laughs> goodness for that. Um, the I would suggest that if you can, go visit the Diefen Bunker outside of Ottawa. And there's a radio station in there. And honest to goodness, I just looked at it and I blanched. And that's all the equipment I work with, the McCurdy, this and the money. You should funny you should mention, I'm going to interrupt you here. Sure. You mentioned the Diefen Bunker, right? Jack Thompson is a name that I think you know. Sure. Yep. An old radio guy who has been in Kingston forever, and he's retired now. But um, on Facebook, two days ago, he posted a little tour he and his wife did of the Diefen Bunker and posted pictures of the radio station that's inside the Diefen Bunker. So there you that's, go. Look up Jack it. on Facebook and you'll see a picture of what you're talking about. No need. I've already done that. Uh, <laughs> you see, we're Facebook friends also. Yeah. And, um, but it's... Everything that's in there, that was the radio station I worked at, yeah. uh, with the exception of uh, headphones. They didn't want you to wear headphones because you would be listening to yourself, and that was the bad thing. Really? Uh, yeah, I know it's a little weird, but that's the way they felt about it. That's the only station they ever worked in that had that mm -hmm. rule. Actually, I think what the deal was, the station owner didn't want to buy headphones, so you know, that was about it. Uh, but the people that worked there were all, in my mind, super personalities. Not everybody was on the air. Uh, they had uh, Jack Pauley was the owner of the radio station, and his family took it over when he passed. But Don Daynard was the the um, program director, excuse me, and uh, he did various shifts, uh, usually middays, if I remember correctly, and uh, Mister Personality. Just mm -hmm. simply Mr. Personality. Uh, we had several other people that worked there uh, for short amounts of time, which kind of surprised me. I thought, well, radios, you get into it, you got a job, that's it, you're going to enjoy it forever. Uh, some people obviously didn't, or the management didn't enjoy them, one or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, one of those individuals ended up um, saying goodbye, and unbeknownst to me, sent out one of my audition tapes when he turned out a job out, in, out west in Regina. And I didn't know he had done it. And a phone call came out of the blue. Would you be interested in moving to Regina? Well, as I said, I was in Smith's Falls. And that's about as far west as I ever been in my life. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, I did. And uh, once again, went to a radio station that was complete opposite of where I was working. Uh, you had to wear headsets all the time. Uh, you had to answer the darn phone. Didn't matter, you know, what was going on. I did the all-night show there for about a year or two and really enjoyed it. Got to meet people that blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely blew my mind. There's a morning guy named Johnny Sanderson. And uh, Johnny had that market in his hands, literally in his hands. Mm -hmm. But I could never understand why. To me, he was just kind of almost milk toast. He was everybody's buddy, but yeah. he wasn't hilarious or anything like that. Uh, and anyway, this we used to have things on cartridge, if you remember carts. Yeah. 
And uh, they look like an eight track tape for those people who have not seen a cartridge in a radio station. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, we used to get exclusives. This is the day when the Beatles were big things. And if you played, played a record by the Beatles in the middle of it, if it was the, of the radio station I was working at, you would hear CKCK exclusive, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Which was really, yeah. So uh, anyway, I listened to this one. It was called Letter to the Beatles. And uh, I thought, oh, my God, it's hilarious. It's super. Johnny came in to do the morning show. And I said, Johnny, you got to play this. It's hilarious. You, you really think so? Oh, my Lord. Yeah, it's great. Well, Johnny had done that. He, he's the fellow who recorded it, wrote it, etc. And then I started really taking a look at some of the people that work there and realized how big these individuals were in the world of broadcasting. Um, one of the midday hosts played country. This is back in the days when... Uh, you had various formats throughout mm -hmm. the day. I remember and, it well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and uh, Porky Sherpano was the guy's name, and I always thought, Porky? You want a guy named Porky? But he was so respected. It was his 25th year on the air, and uh, he got phone calls from Johnny Cash, uh, and goodness knows who else. So just people all over mm -hmm. the place. The prime minister at the time called him. Goodness knows who else. And it just showed the power of broadcasting. I was going to, uh, I was going out with a girl who moved from Smith's Falls to, uh, to Winnipeg. And here I am doing the all night show. She could listen to me in Winnipeg. She moved to Calgary. She could listen to me in Calgary. So it was a powerful station. It was the number one station in the, in the, uh, in the province. And of course it's AM. It no longer exists. It's mm -hmm. gone. It's yeah. simply gone. But now that's what happens. So back then, you had announcers who were doing their shifts live for the most part. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. oh yeah, definitely. Which is a major difference from today, where a lot of the stuff is pre-recorded. But we'll get to that later on. <laughs> okay. Um, any outside from the two fellows you mentioned, two or three fellows you mentioned there, any other personalities along the way that you remember that uh, stick in your mind for one reason or the other? Brian Only uh, from Kingston was a major, major person in my life. I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I worked out West for about, I guess, three or four years and uh, ended up looking for a job back in Ontario and uh, went to Kingston, was interviewed at one radio station, then went over to the other, which happened to be CKWS. And Brian was the assistant program director at the time. And uh, Brian said to me, uh, <clears throat> here's a pencil go in one of the production rooms there, get the tape started, talk about the pencil for at least three minutes. Okay, Brian. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> I thought so. I've never done that to anybody else. Uh, but um, I did it with him and, um, and met the fellow that I was replacing. I did not know I was replacing this guy. Uh, and he was devastated to learn that he was leaving, but he was playing rock and, uh, they wanted somebody to come in and play at the time called middle of the road or adult contemporary, whatever we call it now. Yeah. And, uh, so when they said, who, you know, who do you listen to? Well, I listened to Perry Como. I didn't at the time. Frank Sinatra, <laughs> of course, you know, just filled in the blanks. And, uh, the other fellow anyway, ended up going to, uh, Toronto and working out well there. He, he had a, a great career in Toronto, uh, whereas I stayed in Kingston for a couple of years. 
And uh, as I said, work with Brian Olney, who at the time, I think captivated the market. He was, uh, he was well thought of, and I know that he was offered a job at WKBW in Buffalo, which was one of my favorite radio stations ever. Mm-hmm. And you're never more than a W away from KB. And uh, anyway, I did get an offer from Ottawa, my hometown. And I said, well, and I'm going to think about it. And I went to Brian. I said, I really don't want to go, even though it's my hometown. I like to stay here. But can you match the money? No, we can't do that, John. Okay. So I called up Ottawa from Brian's office. And I accepted the job. I no longer put the phone down. And just like it would be on the made-for-TV movie, Brian walks in. Well, John, we've got you the money. Good timing, Brian. Good timing. <laughs> but uh, we ended up being good buddies. And uh, I was on his little TV show on the air at the time. I was on that a couple of times. And, it was like uh, uh, the Dick Clark American Bandstand yeah. type of show at Ex- a local level. Yeah, exactly what it was. Yeah. 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 And uh, good fun. The years went by and Brian ended up being the fellow who, uh, who hired me at, at Loyalist College to teach broadcasting. Now, you ended up in Belleville, which is where Loyalist College is located, which is, for those of you who are not from this area, is a community college. Um, Belleville is a smaller community than Kingston. It's about 45 minutes west of Kingston. And there was something about the area that you enjoyed, that you and your wife enjoyed, and decided to stay there for a while. Most definitely. As a matter of fact, we made up our minds within the first, I'm going to say, two or three weeks uh, that we, since we moved in here, that this is where we wanted to be. This is where we wanted to retire. This is where we're going to buy our plots. We didn't do that, but <laughs> this is where we wanted to be. Um, we we are fortunate out of the gate to meet some wonderful people at the local one of the local radio stations, CJBQ, and uh, Frank uh, Murray was the fellow who was in charge with then. I met him and the owner, Frank, or sorry, and, and the owner who was um, uh, Miles Morton together. They interviewed me together, which always surprised me if the station owner is here. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they blew me away. Uh, this was followed by, okay, here's your offer. Well, I got to talk to my wife. Well, take it or leave it. Well, that was almost what they were saying. Yeah. And I said, no, I really have to talk to her. And I did. And she was ecstatic. She just wanted to be someplace that was close to the water. Yeah. And uh, that was it. You know, uh, the first person we met in Belleville, other than people who worked at the radio station, was the uh, mailman. <laughs> the, the mailman, God bless this guy, Al Keeler. Um was one of these people who was extremely outgoing, wonderful, wonderful man. And um, my first week working there, I met Al and I left the station after my shift to go get a coffee. And he was the town crier, by the way, across the street as I'm getting my coffee here, this ladies and gentlemen, welcome CJBQ's new morning man. Looking around, who the hell is this? You know, <laughs> but um, it ended up anyway, it was, it was the right decision to be here. 
the right, right size market and wonderful, wonderful people. I can't say enough good things about the Morton family at CJBQ. They still own the radio station, one of the very few radio stations that isn't, uh, excuse me, and isn't um, governed, managed by a larger, large company. Yeah, corporately owned. Yeah. Yes, sir. So get back to the college for a second. So this is a community college that decided to set up a radio uh, broadcasting program. And the aforementioned Brian Only, who had now left radio and was more into education at this particular point. So he was at Loyalist College. Describe the nature you mentioned earlier on about the National Institute of Broadcasting. Yes. What was the, the, the nature of education for people in broadcasting at that particular point in your life? There wasn't very much. Yeah. I think there was the uh, Lauren Green Institute or something like that in Toronto. And the NIB, the National Institute of Broadcasting, was basically um, one of these courses that they said they sent your records, you made the tape, and you sent it back to Winnipeg, and they, they gave you a grade. Um, it wasn't all that great for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. As I said, I, could, I could, couldn't complain. Um, and when I had the opportunity to go to... Uh, to Loyalist College, there were very few broadcasting schools in Canada. I think there might have been five, and it could, it could be exaggerating on the small size there. But um, Loyalist had one heck of a good reputation, and they were graduating people like Aaron Davis, who went to Toronto and did great things. And uh, I was able, as I'm sure you were, to um, to go in and be a guest lecturer and enjoyed it. Oh my God, I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. It uh, it got to the point. I think I think what Brian only was doing was saying, uh, no guest lecturer showing up, so I better call John. He'll come in here and do something. And what I always did was bring in my briefcase, and whatever was going on that day, I'd open up the briefcase and okay, this is what's going on today, and uh, these are the things you should look out for. Blah blah blah. At the time, the class was made up of individuals who really, really wanted to be in radio. Mm -hmm. Young men, young women, uh, and uh, just people who wanted to be there, uh, which was just a great experience, and it just drew me in. I, I loved the younger people were just, oh, my God, yeah, this is what I want. Uh, many of those people ended up at one time or another working in Kingston, uh, working in larger markets than I did. Many of them made more money than I did in radio. Uh, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking to them. I enjoyed helping them after they graduated. I, every now and then I get a tape from somebody to do a critique for me. You know, yeah. Where can I, what can I do, et cetera, et cetera. So needless to say, um, I enjoyed both. I enjoyed radio and, and, uh, and teaching media. It ended up being complete media. It was broadcast journalism and a couple of other things. What made you make the jump from doing radio full-time to teaching full-time? Uh, huh. I'm trying to think of an honest way to answer this. Besides the money. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> I actually, honest to goodness, took a bit of a loss. Oh, really? My, okay. Yeah, my first year, it caught up quickly and then surpassed what I was making in radio. But um, the I had mentioned a name, the name Frank Murray earlier. He was the general manager at, uh, at Quinty Broadcasting. I had my eye on his job. 
I wanted his job. Oh, and I knew that he was about to retire, so I was sticking around. Well, came the moment, and, and Brian had offered me a job at, at, the, at the college, and I turned him down. I was on the board of directors again, like you were, and, uh, and uh, I, I like it where I am. I like doing what I'm doing, but I didn't have a shot at the general manager's position. And that position was given to the general manager's son. Now that might sound like sour grapes, but it is yeah. not. Yeah. He, he deserved it. Uh, and a, a wonderful man, very, very intelligent young man. And that's when I thought, well, I think I'll give loyalists a try. So uh, I got in touch with Brian. And one of the first things he said, I, I didn't even ask him about the job before he said, have you given it a second thought? Would you like to come in? I said, yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, sure, fine. Uh, I was interviewed. One of one of the uh, things they asked me was, "How do you how do you feel about working here?" And I said, "Well, you, I hear you might be going on strike in three weeks." <laughs> no, that'll never happen. Never, <laughs> never happen. So three weeks later, I was walking the picket line. <laughs> <laughs> and and again, a, a great way to meet other people. Uh, you're you're walking the picket line with nurses yeah. and, and uh, you know welders and everything else, and it's just well, this is pretty good, you know. Uh, so I quite enjoyed it, very 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 much. As a matter of fact, when this program started, now for those folks who are sitting there thinking, okay, there's an education program for broadcasters. I listen to a guy every morning or every afternoon, my guy that I listen to, or woman or whatever, <clears throat> excuse me. And I'm sort of curious as to what kind of program was involved in teaching these kids. What sorts of things would they be learning in the program? Well, uh, I, I had the opportunity to teach a lot of it. One was announcing techniques. And now that I have a... Uh, uh, partial plate in my mouth. <laughs> I would never have hired me. Uh, <laughs> but that was part of it. Um, history of radio, which was something I was really not that aware of. So I really enjoyed learning that and then passing it on to the students. I really, mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, Cuff Cuff earlier, Canada's first, Canada's finest. And um, Writing, of course, was was a big thing. I had an opportunity to get involved with broadcast journalism, of course, copywriting. And just when the student came in, they left with an entirely different idea of what radio was. A lot of them came in with the idea of, well, I'm going to be a DJ. Yeah. You know, at uh, a certain club or something like that. You couldn't have found anything that was furthest from that you know it was uh, it was a pretty intense two-year program now uh, let's talk about some of the grads you mentioned a couple of names earlier so some of the folks that went to loyalists to take this particular program have long since been uh, gone across the country to take their skills to other stations anybody stand out in your mind as someone who uh, ran past a classroom that you were in I knew you were going to ask this. I would have asked. <laughs> um, and I hate to, I, I really want to say, they're all great and they're all wonderful and blah, blah, blah. Um, and indeed, most of them, were, I should say most of them, the 
yes, most of the grand majority were. Um, so many of them, I'm feeling so old at this moment. So many of them <laughs> have gone on to careers and retired. Uh, but um, we, we, we have, um, in, in your area, uh, we have Leanne Cater, uh, who's doing country music. Um, we have uh, Sideshow, Ryan Lemon, uh, that uh, in my mind is just one of the funniest people ever. Um, Bill Hall, who does the weather on yep. on TV. And I know I'm going to I'm going to forget people. I shouldn't be doing this. I will forget somebody. So that's okay. Should. That's okay. Uh, one of the I was reading something when I was looking up uh, information on you online, and that's become my uh, great source of, of true information. And I don't know how true this is, but one student, one former student of yours described you as the love child of George Carlin and Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, what are those seven words I want to say? Um, <laughs> they, uh, yeah, I suppose. I suppose. Um, the white beard, and which I've had for years, yeah. um, has had a lot to do with it, I suppose. Um, and I, I did like to inject humor whenever I could. Uh, sometimes the entire class would look at me like, What's he trying to say to us? Yeah. Uh, other times would be absolutely wonderful. But um, I, I think most of them sensed that I liked doing what I was doing. Yeah. And I tried to bring a lot of showmanship into it. Uh, I will tell you a story that uh, I don't, I did, I did this about three for, for about three semesters. And then boy, did I ever stop it. I would come in with a piece of copy and I'm a big fan of when you read a commercial, you put yourself in there as much as you can. And some copy would ask you to be, you know, upset or something like that. So I would come in with a piece of copy. The very first thing I would do, I wouldn't take attendance. I wouldn't do anything. I just come in and I would plop the piece of copy in front of one student and then I would start on this tirade. I would be so upset. And, it's the matter with you people. How come you're not doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I give my all and blah. That's so full of it. And then I would stop after about maybe 45 seconds. And I would look at the students and say, I'm sorry, what's the next line? Now, for two years, no problem. Oh, the next line, John, is... I think you should all go to, okay, thank you. I think you should all go to, fine. Third year I tried it, I put it in front of the student. <laughs> May God love him. He um, was so taken aback by my tirade that was written in front of him that he wasn't reading it. He just was focused on everything I was saying. And when I said, what's the next line? He looked at me with these eyes like, what the name of hell are you talking about? I don't know. And I realized, oh, John has taken this in the wrong direction. So not all of it worked, yeah, to say the least. But by God, I had fun with it. Yeah. <laughs> Let me put it that way. <laughs> we talked a little while ago about what radio looked like back in 1964. Now let's jump ahead 60 years and talk about radio today as someone who was intimately involved with broadcasting in a couple of different ways. Uh, your th what do you like about radio today? I like the CBC. 
for what it, for what it does. I, I think it's really good. Uh, commercial radio. I understand that the bottom line is the dollar. I, I've always understood that. Uh, I think that a number of uh, companies have gone way too far. I think that they don't understand that there are, there are creative people involved here. And uh, those people should be given a chance. And some have, some have, and it's, they, they treated them wonderfully. Uh, others you know, sit back and say, whoops-a-daisy. Um, I find there's an awful lot of sameness in radio now. Uh, that's not to say that it still isn't creative and that these people don't have a chance. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think it's just simply more difficult now. Uh, somebody had mentioned to me the other day, there are more live announcers in Belleville, Ontario, than there are in Ottawa. <laughs> taken aback by that yeah uh, but yeah i kind of looked at it and went boy it's close i don't think it's it's a cigar but it is close um what do i like about it i think that as far as the um the technical side of it it's gotten much better mm. uh i think that uh you, know, you press the button now and boy those fades come in and out and everything's supposed to be where it is and it's 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 pretty darn good it gives the the announcer an awful lot of time to think about things and what he or she is going to say next yeah. and i think that is wonderful uh back in the day uh we would play a 45 rpm record at the most it would be three minutes and you had to come on right afterwards and say something after, yeah. after a record. Now, of course, that's not the, not, the, not the way it is, which is good because people listen to radio for music. They are getting more music now. Yeah. But I think they're just simply getting less personality, if you will. The other point I'd like to suggest, too, is you mentioned the station that you used to work at in Belleville, which has been owned by the same family for a long, long time. Yes. And I would imagine part of their success and part of their longevity is due to the fact that they relate to the community around them. Um, something that, uh, as an old radio guy myself, I listen and I'm thinking there's still a lot of the community that doesn't make it to the radio waves because the people aren't there live, for instance, or there isn't the newscasts that they used to have with the frequency when you and I were in radio. Oh, Dave, 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 Dave. Right on the nose. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I, I I listen to the radio on a daily basis. I still do. And I will listen to the CBC on a daily basis. I will listen to local radio on a daily basis. And heaven forbid I get in the car with my wife. She gets really ticked with me. Why are you listening? Why, why, why? <laughs> you know, you've, you, you've got, uh, you know, your UCB thing, whatever the heck it is. And, um, uh, and I still like to hear a local announcer. And there's still times when they surprise me, when they mm -hmm. are local, which I think is just, you know, that, that again, blows my mind. Uh, but they still exist. Uh, there are ones that know how to do voice tracks, as it were, yeah, and and do it very very well, and I think that's most announcers know do that very well. But um, I, let me give you an example. A few years ago, we were driving to um, from Belleville to Akron, Ohio. It was December the fifth, and we had a snowstorm on the other side of the border, just uh, east of Buffalo, 
And uh, I thought, okay, what we'll do is try and find information here on the radio. We'll go around, going around, going around. I couldn't find anything. And then finally it dawned on me that one of my grads was had was offered a job. She didn't take it in Erie, Pennsylvania at a station called Froggy, Froggy, whatever, 104 or something, 105. So I thought, okay, I'll look. Well, by golly, I'm listening to Froggy. It's the only radio station that talked about the fact that the New York freeway was closed. It was the only radio station that gave me any kind of information I was really looking for. Uh, so again, the corporate setup is fine if you want to make that extra penny, but you might lose that extra penny along the way and probably yeah. more to go. You, you, you lose a listener, it's hard to get a listener back. Yeah, really exactly. Yeah, yeah. Looking down the road 10 years, where's radio in 10 years? I think that it's going to come back. I don't know what form it's going to take. We have podcasts now, and uh, I'm a big fan of them. I think podcasts are, are just great. I download them. I listen to them in the car or whatever. So do I. Doing good. <laughs> you know, I think that's what it's come to. But that's what a podcast is, essentially, in a lot of cases. It's just a an abbreviated radio program. It's it's radio. You can put your podcast, you know, uh, slogan on it or whatever, but it's radio is what yeah. it is. Um, I think that uh, an awful lot of people who have turned to the net uh, are doing the right thing. I wonder about what's going to happen to local radio, and I think that's the only way it can possibly stay alive is simply be local. But don't lie to your listener and we get a number of you know the, the the cliches number one in news you know we care about what you think don't bother calling us there's nobody here but you know that kind of yeah. thing yeah yeah which bothers the daylights out of me uh, because people know and i i think in a lot of cases people are saying well i'm just not coming back but there are other generations coming up that don't know this and if you can be honest with them, if you can be the one today that can deal with climate change and say, you know, we're warning you, Sky Tracker weather is warning you that there could be a tornado on the way today. Well, it's nice to know. But if I can go to my radio station and have that radio station say, tornado is spotted in Deserado. Okay, watch out for it. That's what you got to do. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It makes all the difference in the world. Uh, when I was working in Windsor, uh, and we tried to be as local as we could be, but I used to listen to all the Detroit radio stations. One of them was WWJ. And WWJ, when we had a big storm come through, and you're talking to somebody who's deathly afraid of tornadoes. I don't know why, but I have a thing. And um, we lived on the 19th floor. I looked out and... I thought I saw a tornado. It wasn't one. It was a fire in Inkster, Michigan, and but it looked like a tornado. This black uh, smoke was going straight up into the clouds. And um, I took the kids. We went down to the parking garage and stayed there for a while. We came back up, and the storm was still going on. We had WWJ on the air, and I was watching a sign being blown down the street about two blocks went from us. WWJ went to the phones and, okay, well, yes, somebody calling in from Windsor. I just see this sign. 
going down the street. I'm watching that. I am watching that. Here they were more local than we were, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but they knew what they were doing. And I thought we were new. We knew what we were doing, but apparently, and at that moment we didn't, you know, uh, but I think local is the key. Yeah, in uh, markets particularly like like uh, Belleville or Kingston, Ottawa's so any market. If you can be local, then I think that uh, you'll probably do well. Local and alive, right? And I think that's what people want. They want to know what's going on around them, and radio is one of the perfect ways to find out. As long as you have the people communicating to you. Yes. Yeah. Listen, John. I enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you for helping make radio a better thing to listen to over the years. You're and, a kind man, David. <laughs> and enjoy your retirement. Thank you. And enjoy your podcast. And the Kingstonian is wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. My guest in this episode, John Henderson, retired broadcaster and professor at Loyalist College in Belleville, Ontario. This podcast was recorded in early August 2023 on Zoom. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and I'll be back soon with another conversation. The theme music for the podcast is Stasis Oasis, written and performed by Kingston musician Tim Aylesworth. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about any of the episodes, please send a note to the Kingstonian podcast at gmail.com. For details on upcoming guests, follow us on Facebook. The Kingstonian Podcast is hosted by Dave Cunningham and produced in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. 